Welcome to Paint Radio with your hosts, Emily Howard and Andrew Dwyer. There's Paint Radio and then there's Paint Radio All-Stars Edition. 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 Emily, guess which one this is? I think this is the All-Stars Edition. You betcha. (laughs) It's the All-Stars Edition because... We are joined, you know, I'll have to check Wikipedia on the actual stats, but I'm pretty certain that our two guests today are the top two recurring guests on Paint Radio. Of course, Emily and I are not guests. You have to deal with me every single time. People have tried to do something about that, but good luck with that. I'm not going anywhere. The top two all-time guests, not just in quantity, but quality, Morgan Ray and Brian Nolan. Morgan and Brian, how are you? Well, you know, it, it uh, feels like Saturday Night Live, and this is my 15th time invited back. I guess it's a privilege. You are the Steve Martin of Paint Radio. <laughs> That's a great idea, Brian. It makes me feel like next time we need to go with a cold open where you and I just start introducing Paint Radio. Just like a hostile takeover. <laughs> Wild and crazy guy. So just in case we've got some newbies to Paint Radio, one welcome we're so glad you're here you look great you look well rested good for you brian nolan of course you know him he's one of the stars of the mission vacation series heck it's near impossible to get brian on the phone without going through his agent these days that's why you know brian so well well i should also say even more important brian nolan of nolan consulting group nolancg.com morgan you know her as the chief operating officer of bookkeeping for painters, and she's the headliner on the long-running podcast, Morgan Helps Andrew with His Monthly Credit Card Statement. <laughs> that one's going to be running for at least another three or four seasons. You know, it's not the best title, but it is so popular. I also want to say I'm excited about many things, namely today, this podcast, like a previous one, like many more to come, is sponsored by Bear, Bear Pro. You heard from them the last time. I think we've got three more in this series that they're doing. You're going to hear from Matt coming up. He wants to talk about some uh, contractor-specific services that Bear Pro offers to the pro. So I'm looking forward to talking to Matt about that. But let's get in to the topic. Emily, as you know, internally, we're referring to this podcast as what's next or what the hell do we do now? That's the general gist. Would you agree? I would agree. So... Restrictions are loosening. Some people like to say the economy is opening up. Is it swallowing people as it opens up? We don't know. We hope not, but that's what we're here to talk about. More work is getting started, more contractors getting back. We want them to get back to being bold and busy. And so today, with Morgan and Brian, we're going to talk about pricing. We're going to talk about finances, personnel, bringing people back, hiring new people, all kinds of good stuff. Let's start with the topic of pricing. Emily, you're the editor-in-chief, as everyone knows, of the APC conglomerate, the media titan that we are. Tell us about the Facebook poll we recently did. Tell the good listeners about that. So we recently did a Facebook poll and actually an article on pricing and what people were doing and experiencing. And we asked the very basic question, what are you doing? Are you increasing, decreasing, or are the prices holding steady? So we actually did find that 76% of people reported on this poll of actually increasing their pricing and only 24% decreasing. 
So we wanted to check in with our resident paint radio guests. Brian, let's start with you. What are you all seeing with your group in the pricing? I don't know whether this poll was pre-COVID or not. So this was actually post. This was just last week. Generally, prices have been going up because of wages going up. So wages go up, demand is going up. Generally speaking, the past couple of years, it's hard to talk about price without talking about demand. Demand in the home improvement market is very high right now, very high. It's high because people have been sheltered in. It's high because they have nowhere else to spend their money. It's high because they need to feel emotionally good about something, that they're going towards something, that they're fixing something up because they're not celebrating any other way. So most of my contractors, we work with 114 contractors across the country. Most of them, home improvement is up. Little issue on the commercial side. So you got to talk about residential and commercial pricing a little different because it's kind of hard to paint a restaurant right now or a hotel or something like that. So you've got, so commercial, your Dane things have remained down. And like we said, what we saw was mostly in the residential market with demand going up. Do you think that that's the key reason? Are there other things like some other things that we've seen and, and we've heard people talking about is basically accounting for changes on the work site, like trying to adhere to the safety standards that are out there. You do have to think about how you're going to price your jobs differently just from a prediction rate standpoint. You do, but I, I don't think the safety precautions are going to cost too much. I mean, a lot of the contractors have hand-washing stations on the job site now. They're making them out of buckets. There's a whole kit to do that. You can't have as many painters on the job site, so jobs are taking longer. But the impact on production rates is not significant. Maybe we'll get to this later, but the impact on culture is significant in, in terms of our people comfortable, both the painters and the homeowners having people on site. In general, the biggest pressure on price has come from the wages and the wages have continued to go up. And even in this era where unemployment is so high, I got to tell you, a lot of contractors are having a hard time getting their painters back because they're enjoying the extra $600 a week in unemployment boost, which is a problem now. But in long run, it's going to be availability. Right now, not so much. You're getting that direct feedback from contractors you chat with, Brian? Oh, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so are they raising their wages in order to draw them back and off unemployment, as you suggest? Well, you know, yeah, with the PPP, they're even giving sign-on bonuses, which is covered through the PPP. My brother had gave everybody $1,000 on the day they came back. We had to offer incentives. So that then naturally goes to affect price, right? So we're still in a shortage. I don't know if that's going to be the case this fall once this unemployment gift, so to speak, runs out. Well, and we're looking at July 31st, right? And a lot of what I've read, it doesn't sound like that's going to be extended at this point. Of course, everything is up for grabs and changing every day. But are you expecting wages to hold on once that unemployment dollar amount drops off again? I expect there to be then all of a sudden an abundance of employees. I think this is the catalyst for there being more employees available in the painting industry. Right now, it's too easy not to go to work, but that's going to change. I do think that the government realized that the unemployment subsidy, if you will, was pretty high and 
probably shouldn't continue thereafter. Morgan, what are you seeing on your end? Yeah, I would completely echo Brian's thoughts there. I've been seeing and hearing a lot of the same things. There's been a lot of concern about hiring. It's one of those things that people are really incredulous about because of the fact that the unemployment rates are so incredibly high, and yet recruiting is still proving to be pretty difficult. Yeah, I agree with the assessment that a lot of it does have to do with the unemployment benefits. And a lot of this too, you know, it's not people being lazy per se, but there's really a lot of concern and anxiety. A lot of people have elders that they care for. And I've been hearing a lot of that from clients and painters that they're fielding a lot of concern from their employees about not being comfortable being out on job sites, especially those who live in hotspot areas. But I do think that whenever we see this unemployment boost kind of dwindle down here at the end of July, I agree with Brian's assessment. We're going to see a lot more people re-enter the job market. It does seem like Congress has acknowledged the fact that that's posing a problem, which is why I think there's a little bit of talk going around that they might even look to implementing a bit of a return to work incentive bonus. What I've seen some proposals for that kind of floating around that it might look like a three or $400 a week bonus for a period of time for people who return to their employment so that people are getting back onto those job sites. And in that way, Congress is looking to try to help employers because obviously we can't get the economy pumping again if nobody's able to find somebody to show up on their job site, right? So I absolutely echo that. And then the pricing phenomenon is an interesting one too. I personally haven't seen a lot of clients saying that they're increasing pricing, but I would also say that it's definitely been a minority of them who are saying that they've been feeling like they need to decrease their pricing. So I think most people are seeing that the lead flow is slowed down a little bit, but most people are still pretty busy. They've got a good amount of leads coming in and they expect that to increase as we get through this summer busy season. Brian is also spot on with saying that the big pressure for pricing is absolutely labor. We have seen the benchmarks for labor spending increase by nearly five percentage points over the last three years. So everyone's shelling out a little bit more to try to incentivize people to stay on the jobs with them. I'm kind of curious if if the price increase that people are responding to in the polling has more to do with it being a summer season. You know, is it their typical annual price increases that kind of come up with the seasonality? Kind of interesting. I have two points just to add in there. I think anytime that a contractor is more than one month booked out, I generally recommend increasing prices. So maybe that is that seasonality, Morgan, piece of it. It's kind of like the airplane situation, seats, airplane's going to fly. And so if you don't have work next week, you'll lower your prices. And you could do that almost on demand with social media and email blasts, you know, having deals. But if you're more than one month booked out, most clients are now, you should raise your rates. And so that's what's happening. Shortage of employees, high demand, and you raise your prices. I do think that there's an opportunity with this change, I call it like a seismic change happening with the availability of restaurant workers, transportation workers, because flights aren't as many to begin to bring in good people and train them. We've talked about this before, higher attitude, train skill, bring in an apprentice at a lower model, a low rate that will then bring down your average wage and you can normalize your prices. I should mention that we're recording this on June 2nd. So that's certainly an important marker if you're listening to this in the future, which of course you are. Otherwise, you'd be listening now. And we know you're not. So there you go. How's that for a time continuum? Brian, two questions. First, 
sounds like you're saying you're hearing from your contractors that demand is absolutely increasing. Are you working with contractors nationwide? Because obviously that's not true across the board. There are certainly geographic sectors that are coming back far slower than others. So are, yeah. are you hearing from some contractors that, man, things are not picking up? And are those the contractors who are considering dropping prices in order to gin up some business? You know, we're in about 36 states and the areas that have been toughest have been like New York, Michigan, parts of California. California was very county based in terms of opening up. But now that it's opening up, it's kind of like a waterfall that's happening. The question really is, is once this pent up demand is over, will it sustain? That's the real question. What's next? What's going to happen this fall? I believe that this recession, if it becomes one which is likely, will not resemble the 2008 one because it's not a home mortgage-based recession. I think people will be spending money on their homes, not on flying to Italy like the trip I canceled, right? I'm getting work done, by the way, because I canceled my trip to Italy. I think I may be somewhat common in that regard. Definitely a lot of travel plans canceled in the last few months. But Brian, you bring up a good point that kind of opens up. Our second round of this is, is that we don't know what the future holds. If we're looking at a second wave, if we're looking at a future recession, how long the increased demand in these areas that are seeing it for residential painting. But I guess it's difficult to see the future. But what would your recommendations be at this point? And Morgan, we'll start off with you and kind of talk about financials and what you need to be thinking about as far as saving or scaling up or what the proper thing to be thinking about is. What would you say are some things that contractors can do now to help prepare for whatever it is that we're going to see in the future? Yeah, I think that the best approach to take to this is to obviously focus on what's going on now, deliver the work, be in production to the highest quality you can be, but really be thinking six and even 12 months down the line. I think that everybody is feeling a big surge of relief as things open up right now. And I think Brian's point about backlog was a really interesting one because I've been having this discussion with a lot of clients where the floodgates kind of opened relatively recently and leads are coming in, people are taking care of work. Work that had been sitting while they were maybe shut down. And the backlog is starting to grow a little bit. And that is ideally the time to up your pricing a little bit or start offering incentives to get people to start scheduling in the winter for interior work or things that aren't something that are extremely timely. I kind of feel like, and Brian, I'm wondering on your input on this, do you sometimes see business owners that seem like they're enjoying the feeling of security that having a two or three month backlog kind of gives them maybe almost a little bit of a false sense of security? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Too much. In fact, it makes for a lazy salesperson. It's the season. and We recommend pedal to the metal. If you're two months booked out, then you're not optimizing revenue. Because if you think about break even, you have to get to a certain revenue number each month to cover your overhead. And then after that, your gross profit becomes your net profit. So this is a time now to put the pedal to the metal while there is demand and prepare for whatever may come next. I think everybody learned that cash is king here. If not for this PPP loan, let me tell you something. A lot of the painting contractors would be like the restaurant owners right now. But the PPP was a salvation in many respects. So Brian, what do you suggest in this? You know, you say cash is king. You know, we're talking about preparing for an unknown future. 
Should you be just stashing as much cash as you possibly can? Should you be hiring and scaling and trying to get as much work done as you possibly can right now in the event that we do see another shutdown in the fall? What are your thoughts on that? Two thoughts. So we recommend having at least two months of overhead in your bank cash in reserves, not in like your operating account. We call that sort of business continuation insurance. And then go for it. Hire as many employees as you can, but prepare for a downturn. Back in 2008, right before it all started, I put my contractors through an exercise. I almost got booed off the stage. I said, let's pretend that you lost 30% of your business this year. What would happen? And the guys in the West Coast want to know part of it. What happened? Most people lost 30% of their business. Right now, I would suggest people get very comfortable planning scenarios. Plan. What happens if you lose 10, 20, 30? So get cash in the bank because there may not be a second PPP and plan who you'll lay off and how you'll survive. And then conversely, the other way that I think about this is if we're thinking towards winter and we need to get work booked up there and everyone, you know, the business owners and the consumers right now are feeling a little bit of a sigh of relief. And I think that we can expect that feeling to kind of carry us through the summer, which is really a wonderful opportunity for painting contractors specifically, because the way that I think about this is it's a great time to take some of that additional windfall that businesses might be experiencing thanks to the PPP. And like Brian said, do not let your estimators or your sales team start to feel comfy because you have a backlog right here for the summer. It's a really great time to start upping your pricing for work that's going to be happening in the summer. That's also going to give you extra wiggle room to provide some incentivizing discounts if people want to push work out into the winter. And I think that I would really, really advocate for taking summer as a time to put the pedal to the metal when it comes to sales. Try to capitalize on the comfort that people are feeling right now, because I think it's really likely that consumer confidence is going to start to wane when we head into the fall and winter, especially if we start seeing outbreaks become an issue again. But the really wonderful thing that we can kind of do here is take advantage of some of the consumer psychology. If you can get in the door with somebody, get in for an estimate, take a small deposit down on work that they're willing to have you come do in the later fall and winter, you are going to have such an easier time holding on to those bookings than you're going to have getting new ones in the door come the fall and winter months. Yeah, just to uh, tag on, Morgan, what we also need to be doing is getting our sales reps to target what fall and winter work might look like so that when the phones do stop ringing, they don't become deer in headlights and only start the prospecting engine then. So what markets will be good? We know it's not going to be oil, hotels, and restaurants. We should be looking at manufacturers, HOAs, distribution centers, things like that, so that we can get ahead of this. Because the last recession, it shocked people and sales reps had no idea how to prospect. Yeah, you're right. It's a total pivot for how we usually talk to prospects. We definitely need to accommodate that in any kind of sales training that you're doing and give them a script, give them something to go off of so that they don't feel like they've just been kind of thrown to the sharks there with an unhappy customer base. What about an extra little incentive program? Anything that you're seeing people offer sales and estimating people that might go above and beyond what's typical? Uh, well, there's there's additional commissions for self-generated leads. I've certainly seen those. There's additional commissions for hitting BHAGs, big, hairy, or dishes goals, or 
stretch goals. So I think we want to put those stretch goals out there. You know, I haven't heard anything in particular, but that did trigger the thought in my mind. Maybe people should kind of reanalyze what their current sales compensation looks like. And if it might be unintentionally creating what we would call a perverse incentive or um, basically disincentivizing a salesperson from trying to book work out later in the winter because they might not see that payout for a while, for five or six months. Is that something that across or thought of, Brian? It's almost like the opposite now. So salespeople generally don't have goals around revenue, right? They have goals around contracts. And I've wanted salespeople to have more incentive to be a closer tie to when the work gets done. So I think it's a good opportunity to integrate sales in with the rest of the team so that they know revenue. Revenue and sales, they're different. I mean, you could sell a contract way out, but it doesn't help now. So I think tying those together makes sense. Man, I called it the All-Stars edition. Emily, you just hit record and you let the horses run. Let Brian and Morgan go. Get out of their way. Y'all make it very easy for us. Yes, you do. I I feel lucky when I get to be invited on to sit next to Brian and pick his brain for a few minutes. Likewise, Morgan, likewise. That is what Paint Radio is all about. I have to jump in and mention as I mentioned before, this is the second in our series of podcasts sponsored by Bear, and I'm happy to say I'm joined now by Matt Waskowski. He's the VP of Pro Products and Services. Matt, I understand you've got some specific programs and services for painting contractors. Tell us more about that, Matt. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate the time on the podcast today. I think just to get this kicked off, a little bit how we look at our business and our partnerships. We at Bear feel the cornerstone of being that valued partner is being able to identify a customer's needs and having the solutions to fulfill those needs. It's really important. Our Bear product and services program is really that mechanism or foundation to enhance that partnership and satisfy those needs. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time on what that pro products and services program looks like and what it offers. Of course, we have the high quality products that we're known for, but also there are some other services that you may not know that I want to highlight on the call today. We do have custom color matching available, and we also have color services. Color services is a mechanism that can also help you and your end using customer, whether it be a digital rendering, full-size drawdowns, color books, or closeout books to drive that partnership on that side of it as well. From an ordering perspective or delivery perspective, we have the ability to call, text, or email orders. We can deliver it to your job site, to your office or shop, or have it at will call where you can come by and pick it up and get on the job right away. Specification, warranties, job walks, all of those things we have the ability to do across the United States. And submittal packages. So if there's a project out there you feel we have a great product to help you with that project, we have the ability to do those submittals. This was kind of a brief synopsis of the program, the services, but if you get on bearpro.com, B-E-H-R pro.com, there's a lot more info and content that can help you know a little bit more about our products and services that we offer. I think it's also important to relay our retail partner and Home Depot on some of the things that they offer for the professional painting contractor. You have the ability to get discounted pricing, which we all know is extremely important, especially in the challenge environment that we're in today. But you also have the membership gives you some exclusive special coupons on products that you use over and over again, and it's free to sign up. So it's fairly easy. If you log into Home Depot, it's homedepot.com forward slash pro extra. And I'm going to spell that out, homedepot.com forward slash P-R-O-X-T-R-A. You can enroll for a membership. 
and take advantage of the offerings that are in that program. So on behalf of our retail partner, Home Depot and Bear, thank you to you, Andrew, and APC for allowing us on the podcast today. Look forward to chatting with you guys soon. Thank you. Matt, love it. Thank you so much. Love having Bear Pro as a sponsor of these podcasts. As he said, check out bearpro.com. Learn more about these pro contractor-specific programs from Bear Pro. Brian, let's talk about PPP. We've brought it up. We've talked about it several times already. Obviously, many contractors have these loans. We assume and we hope that they will be forgiven, but they certainly have strings attached. So again, let's start with you, Brian, then we'll get input from Morgan. What do contractors need to be aware of about record keeping, what they can use this money for, and what they need to be prepared to provide to the federal government to demonstrate how they used it so that they can be reimbursed if and when that time comes? Well, you know, like I said, uh, when I started talking about this in March to my clients, if your banker is not your best friend, make him so. What we've learned about this is that the SBA is relying so much on lenders to make the forgiveness determinations. And so there's been, even up to recently, you know, is workers' comp covered? Is it not covered? Well, it's not covered, but yet some banker in the West Coast says it is covered. So it's going to be covered by that bank, right? Because that bank says it's so. So if you don't have a a forgiveness template, uh, we suggest you get one in Excel spreadsheet where you can track your payroll costs, your rent, your utilities, your health insurance, your local taxes. It's eight weeks of paid uh, or incurred payroll. So they are making it easy, actually, to spend your money on this. But the record keeping is key and making sure that you are in dialogue with your banker. Morgan, I'd be interested in some of the tools you're using and some of the advice you're giving contractors. From our perspective here, I've just been gearing up, waiting to uh, see in a couple months if the SBA comes back around and starts putting out demands for your firstborn child. For, <laughs> for, for <laughs> But in all seriousness, the biggest advice that I've been giving to clients is to approach this as don't do any spending that you otherwise wouldn't do to take care of the business and grow the business. Because I think that that is the absolute best way to protect people from trying to spend money on things that they're going to be really upset if that expense for whatever reason, it doesn't end up being forgiven. So I think you're spot on there with get a copy of the SBA forgiveness application that's been released, make your banker, your accountant, your best friend so that you guys can walk through that forgiveness application. Some of the calculations are a little bit hairy there, but I think for the most part, what we're going to see is that actually doing these forgiveness applications aren't going to be too terrible because the banks are all gearing up for needing to process a ton of these. So really what we're kind of paying closer attention to is, you know, from a business owner perspective, the best rule of thumb is always going to be just make sure you have a great document collection system. Take pictures of everything, store digital copies in multiple places, get copies of those detailed payroll reports, because you never really know exactly what they're going to ask you for. But what we do know is that once everyone is submitting these forgiveness applications and getting word back on forgiveness, they did release that they are going to expect you to hold on to all of the documentation for at least six years. 
So I think that's a little bit more what we're kind of keep our eyes towards is that the forgiveness application is probably not going to be too terrible this year, but definitely prime yourself for uh, potential audits down the line, because I think the government's going to take a while to kind of weed their way through these. But, you know, history has shown us that they go after the deep pockets, right? The deep pockets principle is what we think of. They're going to be mostly interested in those firms that got very large loans. So I don't think people should be too nervous about it. But yeah, essentially focus spending on payroll. I think right before we jumped on the call here, we were all chatting about some of the new changes that are most likely going to be implemented when the House and Senate kind of get on the same page later this week. And what we're seeing come through that is that we might get an extension on the covered period when we get to use the funds and still apply for forgiveness. I think the way that the bill sits right now, instead of it being an eight-week window, it's looking like it's going to be a 24-week window. They're also probably going to make this adjustment where instead of having to be at least 75% payroll expenses, it's going to have to be at least 60% payroll expenses and up to 40% can be used on other things, um, you know, the mortgage, utilities, and that sort of thing. So these are some really, really hopeful changes that I think are going to help a lot of businesses that were kind of left out in the cold when the funding and the initial rules came through. Because, you know, the reality is we saw a lot of businesses that thankfully were able to get funding, but they were still so shut down or Like we were talking about earlier, they were not able to hire back to their original levels. So there was a lot of nervousness about spending the money because they didn't know if they were going to be able to get it forgiven. It's looking like they're probably going to push out the deadline on that too. So you're going to have maybe through the end of the year to return to your prior employment levels. So I think think some good changes in store here. And overall, I think that the PPP is looking better and better. I think everyone should feel good about the fact that All indications are that the government and the banks are incentivized to make this process easy. They want you to be forgiven, I think is what you said, Brian, um, maybe earlier in the episode. Really, the last piece everyone needs to keep their eyes on is just the Treasury. We're really seeing the Treasury and Congress butt heads here. But I think it's good that these are all conversations that are happening right now. You know, the way the IRS is interpreting things, it's very much in the public eye. So I think we're going to have answers sooner rather than later, which is all what we really want and need. Yeah, just a a couple more points here. The SBA doesn't want to saddle small business with debt, so they want to forgive you. And you shouldn't have a problem getting forgiveness as long as you don't do anything silly. So what does silly look like if you take the money and you buy a building or you buy a new vehicle or you use all the money to pay off another debt that you had? Then that's going to be a red flag. If for some reason you don't spend all the money, it's not forgiven, we suggest you take advantage of the long-term loan. It's only one point, right? So I wouldn't pay it back because having the cash down the road is going to become key. Well, and so speaking of cash down the road, as people are kind of moving through this PPP money too, we touched on this a moment before about like taking deposits. What are you all seeing as pretty standard for like a deposit amount versus are you seeing people offering financing too to homeowners over a period of time? What are you guys seeing on the deposit percentage front and financing? Sure. I I am seeing an uptick in clients that are offering financing, which I think is savvy. It's a savvy move for business owners because it's really nice for you to be able to have that cash flow sooner rather than later and let the customers figure out their payment terms. There's some really good programs out there through Synchrony and maybe Brian will have some tips for a couple of others, but I am seeing an uptick in people offering financing. 
I do think that asking for deposits is, it's the new norm and it's great. It's really the best thing you can do for cash flow. It's really important to keep an eye on how you track those. Make sure that you're tracking those unearned revenue and not just having them run through your income accounts because you want to be able to take a look at those cash flow statements and see how much of your business's cash flow is coming from this unearned revenue, which considered a liability until you get that work done. And we don't want to be too dependent on it. So they're great for cash flow. Don't get too dependent on it. On average, I see anywhere from very small, almost nominal amounts for holding a booking up to 15, 25% of the final job, and then some progressive invoicing in the midst of it. So that's kind of what I'm seeing. What about you, Brian? I've always been a proponent of deposits because of what's called cash conversion cycle. You sell a job, you buy the material, you get people working, you have payroll, and then you wait to get paid 30, 45 days later. It's hard to uh, really grow when you're so behind on this. So California is regulated. I believe it's 10%, but most of my clients are getting a third upon contract signature. And there's some head trash, if you will, around this. I don't want to get the money until I do the work. I'm proud. You can wait. But good business sense says don't have a large AR, have a large deposit process. Mm-hmm. If you look at people's accounts receivables during recessionary times, I get scared to death because that happens. But if you have a really strong deposit process, your AR should be less. That is an excellent point. Yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely. What's also interesting in the billing realm of that we're seeing a trend on the commercial side, especially is that, you know, for a long time, commercial work, anybody doing work with GCs, everyone's been really conditioned to these terrible payment terms, right? Like taking forever and retainage dragging on and on. But it looks like what I'm seeing in reports from the construction industry are that Everyone is starting to really tighten up on their contracts heading into work. And we're seeing a huge uptake in people utilizing mechanics liens almost as a preliminary measure heading into some of this work. And it's kind of interesting because they're noting that that trend is abnormal. Like you said, Brian, a lot of people, they fall into that pride realm or that it's not really worth their time to kind of fuss around with your legal recourse when you're trying to get payments. But we're seeing that shift as the market shifts and very, very likely that that trend is not going to go away even as consumer confidence returns and everyone's more confident in the builders and everything. Once people start using those tools, they'll probably keep using them, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, actually, if there's one advice I would leave with the people listening to this is payment terms, payment terms, payment terms, going into any period like this. Do not enter into any contract as sexy as it looks. It's not about the sales revenue. It's about how much you can get in the bank. If you have a large commercial project, make sure you get paid every two weeks. Thank you for that transition, referencing sexy. I appreciate that, Brian. Now, let's move on to the topic of hiring. Brian, let's start with you. What advice are you giving your contractors who may or should be interested in hiring, meaning what conditions should exist? if they want to consider hiring and what the process should look like. What's your best advice? I'm so glad you brought this up because I think this is an opportunity to upgrade your team. I really do. A lot of people let go employees laid off for four, six, seven weeks, and then they're bringing them back. And what I'm hearing is that, you know, I think I'm not going to bring this person back. In fact, I probably should have let them go beforehand. They're just not a good fit. So, This is a chance to upgrade your team from a cultural standpoint 
and a value standpoint. And, you know, we have a recruit like your market mentality here. So my brother, Kevin Nolan, is on the radio. We're back and we're hiring. So there's a lot of people listening who aren't working like restaurant workers, transportation workers, and we need to go after them hard. But then we have to culturally accept them, which means have the skills training and have our team ready to accept great people who may not be skilled. This is an amazing opportunity to upgrade the personnel. I'm excited because there's been this old school craftsman out there that hasn't really welcomed apprentices in my mind. And this is a time to do that. Yeah, I've been hearing some really interesting tidbits from people um, and, and business owners around the U.S. about how they're using some unorthodox hiring strategies. I think we're seeing a lot more from social media, people using their own platforms and the platforms of their current team and offering those hiring incentives and bonuses. If a team member brings on somebody and they have a certain retention period, that can be a great way to get people to kind of reach out to their network. And those referral hires have a really, really great longevity. That's They're one of the best for retention. But I hear some other stuff like Stacey Spear, who owns a painting business, I believe out of Virginia, was talking about how her business, she places a pretty high priority on employing women and working moms. And so she frequently advertises under boards that are usually for waitresses. So she'll put up job ads for waitresses and then pivot in the middle of the job ad and she gets a lot of great candidates that way. And so that might be an interesting way to reach out to um, some of the other market sectors, maybe some of the other trades that are being hit a little bit harder than painting, especially here in the summer. Make sure that your job ads are titled in a way that they're not only going to show up if someone is searching for a painting job. You know, what other industries might you be willing to hire from if they're not skilled painters, but what other skills are you looking for? I used to always say, they're not even looking at us. Prospective workers, they're not even looking our way. Now they may look our way. So be there for them. Market, as you say, social media, be on Facebook, show pictures of happy employees. You got to go after it. We're in a service business where people matter. They make the difference. If someone's smiling at a person's home, that makes a difference in your brand. So go after it hard. And I'm not just talking about a Craigslist ad. I'm talking about multiple sources. Be a headhunter. Mm-hmm. Recruit instead of just focused on hiring. Yeah, it's a great one. So one thing that we talked about earlier here is, is that some people are not wanting to come back to work. And demand is also high. What are you all hearing about the subcontractor market? right now? Are people utilizing them more or less? What's happening there? I'll go because I've got some real story, real life stories like now happening. On one end, I've got people liking it because they feel like it's lower risk if there's a downturn. And on the other hand, I hear that, but if I bring in subcontractors, they won't adhere to the safety practices because you really can't tell a subcontractor what to do. So at the end of the day, it really comes down to Maybe a perfect mix, but if you find a subcontractor or two that really gets you and is along with your brand, but we're an employee-backed model uh, first and foremost to build a team, but I think that can be uh, supplemented selectively with the best subcontractors. Yeah, I do tend to see that strong employee-based models, they really are the most efficient. They have some of the best margins once you get to that point where you have a steady enough revenue stream to support it. Subs are really useful for supplementing that. And I obviously, we see a lot of startups using them um, and businesses that kind of straddle that middle line as they scale up. 
I haven't really heard of any particular difficulties getting sub workers out right now or hiring subs. So it seems like the market on subs is fairly consistent. Yeah. It's just the same old issues with trying to find good ones, you know, and keeping them around. Guys, like I said, I raised the expectations early on by calling this the All-Stars edition. And Brian and Morgan have certainly met and exceeded those expectations. Tremendous stuff. But before we close out, let me just toss out one more time. Any other topics on this June 2nd podcast that you think contractors should be aware of? Any final words of wisdom and advice? Yes, Andrew, I'd like to talk a little bit about safety in uh, painting has always been very important, but not always in the forefront. So now we're talking about safety in so many ways. Do employees feel safe? Do customers feel safe? And when you get on the job site, is the six feet rule going to be broken and a customer is going to feel violated? So we're recommending that you appoint someone in your company and even someone on cruise as a sort of a chief pandemic officer or a safety captain, because this can also affect culture in a big way if one employee is feeling unsafe with some things that other employees are doing. And it could very quickly ruin havoc with your culture and customer satisfaction. CPO, Chief Pandemic Officer. Morgan, go ahead. And just to build on that, I think Brian is hitting the nail on the head when he says that making safety a focus and fulfilling some of these emotional desires that your customer base have are really going to be the ticket to surviving this tumultuous period, but also standing out from your competition. I attended a really great webinar with the Farnsworth Group a couple of weeks ago that their focus is surveying and consumer research in the home improvement industry. And they they sent out a survey about causes of increased bid requests and increased closures. And something like 88% of respondents came back that the reason that they were getting increased bids and their increased closure rates had to do with homeowners wanting solutions for health and safety. So if you can make that a core component of what you're doing, not only is it going to help you in the way that you present your service to the customers, but it is going to be, for a lot of homeowners, the thing that maybe is the ticket for why they go with you instead of someone else. Love it. Absolutely tremendous information. That was Morgan Ray. She's Chief Operating Officer of Bookkeeping for Painters. You can check them out, bookkeepingforpainters.com, double O, double K, double E. Single P. A lot of people have trouble spelling the word bookkeeping, Morgan. <laughs> I know from personal experience. <laughs> Again, double O, double K, double E, single P. I'm going to give her a, a plug here, too. Can I give a, a plug? You know, the first thing we counsel when we begin coaching a contractor is, so who does your books? Do you have a bookkeeper? No, I give my account in a folder once every six months or once a year. So the very first item on the implementation ladder for us is hire a bookkeeper. That would be you, Morgan. <laughs> well, thanks for that plug, Brian. Yeah, we're with you. Um, definitely our whole perspective is that as a business leader, your decisions are only as good as the info you're making them on. So we want to be here to provide that great information. See, this is why Brian is the coach among all coaches. What a guy. <laughs> what a guy. He's never said anything nice about me, but that's okay. I'm waiting for some fodder. I'm waiting for... <laughs> I know. I've been working. I'll, I'll try to come up with something eventually, Brian. Mission vacation isn't over yet. I hope that by the end of season two, I'll give you some faint nugget. Anyway, Brian Nolan of Nolan Consulting Group. Check him out at nolancg.com. And also thanks to Matt 
at Bear for sponsoring this whole series of podcasts. Check them out at bearpro.com. Look, at APC, we don't know everything, but we know the people who know everything. That's why we are the number one resource in the painting industry. Check us out, paintmag.com. Subscribe to Paint Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. Keep getting better. Difficult times, but you can handle it. We're there with you, kindred spirits. Thanks for listening to Paint Radio.